Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today, it's Appalachian State head coach Angel Elderkin. Angel is in her fifth season at the helm of App State and is someone that uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. It's uh, it's always impressive to me when people go through adversity and, and who of us hasn't, but uh, Angel's is on another level. Uh, in her After her second year as the head coach at App State, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, went through treatment, and is... Uh, is a survivor and cancer-free now, but I'm looking forward to talking to her about it. Uh, I'm aware of her story. I, we've we've interacted briefly uh, just on social media and whatnot, but first time really getting to talk to her about it. So I want to dive into that as much as she'll allow me to talk about her program that uh, has had trouble in the past, but this year they've taken a big step forward. They're right in the middle of the Sun Belt uh, with a couple games left. They've got a chance to jump up. Uh, into some spots they haven't been in a really long time. So I'm interested to talk to her about her team's uh, improvement now here in her fifth season and uh, just talk to her about her journey. So we'll get her on the phone and be right back. This is The Jump Around. Welcome back to the Jump Around, and joining me, it is Appalachian State head coach Angel Elderkin. Coach, thank you joining me on a game day. That's uh, that's real dedication. I really appreciate you and your time today. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll actually take my mind off the game for a little while, so I thought this would be something nice this weekend. Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes uh, over over analyzing the day of, I think we've all been guilty of that. So um, we will get into your team and the season you guys are having, but. I want to dive into your past. You have a very interesting uh, career journey. You've um, you've kind of bounced around. A lot of times, you see people that you know they'll step in, they'll go, and and that's it. But you you start as a special assistant to a head coach at East Tennessee State in the in the late nineties. You you're an assistant at Siena for a while. Then you go to Tennessee as a GA and a video. I mean, you've kind of done all these different things. When you when you jump in. And start your coaching career. I mean, I just I can't imagine you would have ever have thought or planned out the path that you took. No, I, absolutely not. I think one of the things when I was at um, piano, when I actually had my first opportunity to be a real assistant, I was like young and so eager and aggressive, and I was like on the fast track, and it was like, oh, I'm going to be a high school by the time you know I'm thirty or late 20s and I was super aggressive and then I think the move um, to Tennessee so I had been assistant for four years and I was looking when I was at Tiana to try to make that jump and I, I just couldn't and I, I crossed back with um, Nikki Caldwell who I had done an internship at Virginia during my graduate school and I had told her because um, I was also talking to Cameron Dubauer who was at Georgia at the time and he had floated the idea of a GA to me. And so I was sitting at dinner with Nikki, and I said, I'm really thinking about, like, maybe taking a step back, take a step forward. And when we heard about the possibility of, of Georgia and my conversation with Cameron, the next day I, I interviewed um, with Coach Summit, like, down at, in Orlando at the Nationals. And then I ended up doing it. And I think it was that experience that kind of humbled me. That was like, wow, um, you've got a lot to learn. And 
you know, obviously going to Tennessee during that time, um, I was able to really gain a lot of experience. Interviewing with Pat Summit sounds like one of the most terrifying things in the world to me, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it, yeah, it was, and it was like all my all my coaching friends at the time like thought it was so cool. Like I was sitting in the front row, and she's so dialed in. Like it doesn't matter to her that all the people are around and people are like, "What is Angel doing up talking to Coach Summit?" <laughs> and um, at the event, so it was kind of like everybody was looking at me, and she. She was just so laser focused, but I'll never forget that moment. Pretty cool, yeah. And then you spend you spend oh uh, five to oh seven there, and then you head to Virginia as an assistant for a number of years, and then um, you go to LSU as a video. So you kind of do that step forward, step side, step back kind of thing again um, as you go from Tennessee to Virginia to LSU. Uh, what was going on in, in in that part of your career? Yeah, so we had just come off of winning the national championship at Tennessee, and Debbie Ryan had called, and I was a little bit hesitant, and Coach Summit was real with me. You know, she was like, you came to Tennessee to get experience so you could take a jump um, to the next level as an assistant. This is your time. And I was I was so kind of scared to leave Tennessee, and she was real. She was like, as long as she was the head coach, she was always going to have a lady ball on her staff. So the highest I was ever going to get to at Tennessee was, you know, maybe director of basketball operations. And so I, I went to Virginia and what another great experience having an opportunity to work um, with Debbie Ryan, another basketball legend. So went there, um, had a great experience there. And then uh, when Debbie decided to retire, I, I took that kind of hard and I was unsure at the time if I was going, what I wanted to do. Because, again, I thought, oh, my next move was going to be a head coach, and then I wasn't sure. So then Nikki had taken over at LSU, and um, she had given me a call, and I, I told her where I was at. And I thought it would be a neat opportunity to go work um, aside with her, you know, next to her, and see, like, the first 100 days on the job from a different perspective. And so that was what was most intriguing to me was, was watching, you know, Nikki take over, watch the assistants do, and what do you do those first 100 days? Because um, I knew my end game, I did want to become a head coach. And then that's interesting because you take over a program when you do become a head coach. And um, I know I'm skipping a few steps to get there, but you take over App State. And for people who don't know, Appalachian, and it's Appalachian, not Appalachian. Okay. <laughs> so let me go ahead and get on that soapbox real quick. Yes, Appalachian State. Uh, in the mountains of North Carolina, tucked in Little Boone, North Carolina. I, what, what, and why? Because that is not a logical fit. Well, what's interesting about this is I went to graduate school at East Tennessee State University, and in my fifth year, they needed the women's track team needed somebody to throw the javelin, and so <laughs> I still had eligibility. So I was in graduate school, and so they had asked me if I would go with them on a couple track meets to help potentially score points for the females. So I traveled over to Boone, North Carolina to, to be in the track meet, and I loved it. I was like, man, this place is awesome. And so the next year, we would, we would like to, hey, let's go to a football game at App. So I was really, really aware of um, Appalachian. Another funny connection is I was driving back um, to LSU, so I have two um, labs, two labs, but I only had one, and my parents were 
were watching him, and so I had to drive him back to Baton Rouge, which was very long. But I drove my past boom, and I actually stopped in Boon. This was like in August had sushi, went to a restaurant, and I was literally, like, walking through the campus, and I was like, man, this would be a great job. Hmm. And then I just kept it moving. I mean, it was August. I had no idea. And then I had gotten a phone call um, from my agent, Brian. He said, you're never going to get slot. And I was like, what? He's like, App State is open. <laughs> and, it, and I was like, wow, because it was not good timing. You know, it was like September. Um, and so then that's yeah. when I had spoke to Nikki, and me and Nikki – kind of kept it quiet. Like, no one even on my coaching staff at LSU knew that I was going to interview. I had talked to her because I felt really bad yeah. about the timing. And she was, she had just said, you know, Angel, these opportunities for us don't come. And when they come, you know, you got to be ready to go. And I was appreciative that she was so supportive of me um, kind of leaving the program, you know, two days before we start official practice. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That is pretty incredible, uh, and, and that but is that's like a perfect example for this business, right? Like you just never, all your plans are pretty pointless because it never works out the way mm-hmm. you, you wanted to. And um, moving on to something in that regard, and you and I talked about it before we hopped on air, but um, it is Play for K month. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of. You've seen a lot of games. You're seeing a lot of um, what they're doing, and and sure enough, two years after you arrive at Appalachian State. Uh, you're diagnosed with cancer, and I, yeah, not not in the plans. So um, no. I know you've talked about this extensively, and um, if you if you'd be so kind, I just walk us through uh, when you find out. And again, you're in the middle of your you're your middle of being a head coach, and, and so just walk us through just um, those initial few few days and few weeks after you got that diagnosis. Yeah, that was, um, you know, it was the end of uh, basketball season, and I went on a couple home visits, and I just wasn't feeling good. And I kept trying to, you know, my assistant at the time was like, you know, I think you should really go to a doctor. It's been going on for a while. So, you know, I, I chased down a bunch of doctor's appointments, and for about a month, I was in and out of uh, the doctor's office, and no one really knew what was wrong with me. I just was very persistent like something is wrong with me and I kind of like pushed it pushed it and then I finally um traveled over to Chapel Hill and it got connected with some really really great doctors and what we thought was going to be you know a pretty minor procedure I was going to go in and have you know outpatient surgery um I later woke up you know in the in the hospital to basically you know full hysterectomy and you know, stage three cancer. And I, I, in that moment when I'm being told, I'm like, oh my God, like we had everybody coming back that year for basketball. Um, like this was supposed to be like that breakthrough kind of season. And here I was, you know, with this diagnosis. And so it was really hard. Um, and then I had to wait. Um, so I was diagnosed, but they weren't sure they had to send all my stuff off. Um, pathology so they weren't even really sure what what my game plan what it was going to be like they they told me you definitely gonna have to have chemo we think we removed everything and I was just like for two weeks no one knew I mean it was probably a week but it felt like a lifetime but (laughs) and no one knew I was at my house kind of recovering from the surgery waiting from the doctors and just like very emotional every day because I had to wait to hear what my diagnosis was, 
and then how we were going to attack it. And luckily, I had a great, you know, great family and friends in my circle. And, and once we got the true diagnosis, I approached it like, like a coach. You know, it was like, here are my days. Here are the times that I got to be here. Here's what I have to do. And so, like, one of my doctors, um, who was a family friend in Rhode Island, he really, he's a, he's a radiologist. And without him, I don't think I would have made it because he was the only one who got, who gets what I do mm. and was able to then take the cancer and like put it in a game for me of, okay, Angel, you need to do X, Y, and Z so you can do this. And he was truly the one that was able to like allow me to see the big picture. Yeah. And so I think I'm grateful. Like when I look back on it, cause I see other people now that go through cancer that don't have basketball and don't have a team. And I feel for them because it's like without my team, without my career, without basketball and the people that are involved in the game, I'm like, would I have made it? It just gave me something every day to fight for, a reason to get up. Um, and it, it was tough. And, like, I, I get in these play for K games, and I don't even talk a lot about it with my team because it's, like, emotional. But at the same time, it's like I went through that, and I can never forget it. You know, and I'm just grateful, like, to be able to stand up, to be able to coach my team, and, you know, to be able to, you know, say to you today, like, I'm cancer-free, you know, and I never take it for granted. And I know that I'm still still in the fight. You know, I'm still getting CAT scans. I'm still getting tested every three to six months. Um, But hopefully, you know, once I hit this three-year of remission, um, things will start to continue to just look better and better for me. Well, it's... Obviously, great news that you've recovered, and um, if you'll allow me to just, I, and we'll we'll get happier in a moment, but um, <laughs> I, I, I do think it's one of those things that the scale of it and the just what it all is, like we all know that cancer is bad, and we've pretty much all had someone in our lives that's dealt with it, but unless you're personally experiencing it, I don't think you, we can fully wrap our heads around it, so I'm just wondering... I know you you had basketball, you had all these great things to keep you motivated and keep you going and keep you positive, but I there had to be some dark times. So I'm just curious Oof. like what what did those low points as as much as you're willing or able to share, like what what did those low points look like? Yeah, so there was a spell of I had to do the three um chemo treatments and I would drive to Chapel Hill, I would drive back and then I would be with my team and I was good. But then there was a spell of time from July to August, where it was about, I had 28 radiation treatments, and I couldn't get them anywhere that was close to boom. So they were every day, and even though they were only like, you know, the, the amount of time I showed up and left was probably 30 minutes, but it wasn't feasible to drive back and forth and drive back and forth. So for that span of time, I had to be like in a hotel or with different people just in Chapel Hill. And I was away from, you know, the summer workouts. I was away from July recruiting. And I hit some, some pretty, like, low times. I remember, like, being in a hotel room and it just being, like, pitch black and just laying there and just, like, even, like, texting the, texting the team just for, like, words of encouragement because I was like, I don't want to do this. And then when I got done with, radiation, I actually met with my doctor and asked them if I had any treatment. And it was, I really, really, after I did 
the three chemos and the radiation, it was, I rang the bell and it was like, I don't know if it was September 1st. I, the meeting I had and my, and my aunt came because the people, they knew I was ready to just quit. I couldn't take it anymore. And, um, the doctor was like, you know, they, they ultimately talked me out of it, but I really, really wanted to quit at that moment. I didn't think my body, my mind, my spirit could take it. And there was an article in the Players Tribune with James, about James Conner. And I came across that during the time and it really, really helped me. It really helped me through it, but. Yeah, I, I I wanted to put for sure. I mean, I'm the uh, total honesty. I'm 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 tearing up a little bit. I mean, you so you kind of I mean you contemplated dying, yeah. Well, I contemplated like rolling the dice of yeah. what happened was they removed all the cancer. They found it in a couple of my lymph nodes. So everything and, and everything was we have to do this so it doesn't come back. But it was tough for me to process because it was like, the cancer is gone. Why are they putting me through this? Right. Why are they putting me through this? Right. And, you know, the team of doctors was like, my doctor is like one of the best. And she was just like, you can't quit now. Like, don't risk it. You, I'm doing this so you never have to go through this again. And right. They were great. They understood where I was at. Everybody, you hear, oh, um, chemo is much worse than radiation and for whatever with me, you know, the radiation got, it got me. It, mm. it really got me. Man. Wow. Well, um, inspirational to say the least. Um, I, uh, yeah. Wow. I, um, I am, uh, astounded by your strength. I really am. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So uh, we'll move on to the season. We'll move on to the insignificance of basketball. Um, <laughs> so year three, uh, you guys go twelve and nineteen. You go six and twelve in, in conference. You know, year three is that kind of year that you'd like to see an uptick. Um, and then year four uh, didn't go to plan at all. Uh, you guys go eight and twenty three. Um, you struggled in your conference as well, five and thirteen. And I, I get it. It's tough because when you're in year four, the the narrative, of course, is, okay, you've almost got all of your recruits in, you've had time, mm-hmm. um, and the pressure adds up as a coach who wants to be successful and has a game plan to be successful. So um, moving into this year, you guys are 12-11, and 11, you're 6-6 six and six in conference, so you've taken steps forward. Um, but I just wonder, for you, after year four, when it doesn't go the way that you want it to, to go, uh, what's it like in your staff meetings? What's it like uh, when you guys are trying to figure out how, how are you guys going to take this step forward? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, that happened in year four, and that's what's so interesting about coaching, is you know every the success is based upon the wins and losses, and that season of the eight wins was the season that we brought in you know seven kids to change the culture of the program. So it was like after year three, and that's what people. You know, most people, when, when you, you take over a program, you know, by your third year, everybody says, like, you're, you're coaching, per se, like, um, your team. And for me, that wasn't the case. You know, I still had, when I had gotten taken over at App, a lot of the kids were freshmen. And so I kind of coached them through. And then that on that fourth year, there was a lot of different things from a cultural standpoint. So we had a, a group that year, the year I got sick. Um, that I thought should have should have been better, and it was at that moment that I was like, "We've got to change our recruiting. 
and we've got to get the right character kids in here. And it, I think it was like a story about Kelsey Palmer. It was like, you know, anybody can, can do that shooting work, give a kid a shooting workout, but it's going to be the character of that kid that's going to execute it all the time. And it just kind of resonated with me. Mm. And so we, we signed a really big class. Um, I met with like a leadership council um, within the team with Maddie Story and Caitlin Dollop, and I said, we're bringing in this new team, and we got to get our culture right. And so although last season was the eight wins, that was one of the most enjoyable teams to coach because everybody was like all in. We were just super young. We relied on just freshmen and, you know, sophomores. And, you know, everybody was like, man, those, they're going to be good. They're going to be good. And, and they kind of just got thrown in the fire. Yeah. So then after that season, we knew, like, okay, they're not freshmen anymore. Um, we're going to bring back Maddie Story, who had torn her ACL with that group, who had, we had lost. And we were ready. And, like, right when they came back for summer, I actually started everything was a competition. So we started putting them on teams, competing in everything they do, down to free throws. You know, you got points for free throws. You got we played three on three. Uh, we just got them in the winning winning mindset and the winning mentality. And so when we started this year, you, you saw the immediate growth in them. But what I think is kind of even more exciting is that they're still like I'm still relying on a sophomore class. And so there's still a lot of youth in our roster. Um, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, I think I could have really hit the panic button. And I, and after I, I think cancer, in a way, made me realize, like, if the worst thing that happens is I fail at this, um, uh, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think it was like, get the right kids in here, do what you believe, Okay, and the rest is going to take care of itself. And even our kids today, when we meet and we talk, they talk about last season and taking blow after blow and how, you know, losing last year um, has allowed us to take a, another step this season. And I think it was maybe Tony Bennett. Like, you got to find the guys you can lose with before you can win. Mm. And I think that speaks a lot to, like, my roster right now. Like, they stayed here. We fought together. And, and, you know, and now we're still continuing to grow. Yeah. Well, as you guys sit, you're in sixth place in the Sun Belt, a, a really good mid-major conference. Um, I know the last two games, you, you wish you had a, another shot at them. You lose by double or single digits, excuse me, to UT Arlington and then at Coastal. Um, and so you're kind of in that, you're kind of at the top of that second half because you, you trail Georgia State by two games in the win column as far as standings go. So, um, and you got a tough, you got a tough stretch coming down here. The your final six games, four of them are on the road. So for you guys, uh, as you try to build and try to set yourself up for success in the conference tournament, how do you do that? What's it look like for App State now? Hey, we got six games left. You know, we've got a chance. If we take care of our business, we can climb up into those upper spots in the conference. How do you guys handle that uh, here down the final run of the regular season? Yeah, I think a lot of it is going to come down to us trying to control what we can control. And I, I know it's like people know or don't know, like the, this league is tough just in terms of the travel and the travel partners and, you know, where we're located in Boone. Um, so some of that stuff, like just trying to really keep our kids like fresh minds, fresh legs um, as we approach. And maybe you could tell me this, because I've been wondering this, like it's February 21st and we're playing somebody in our league for the first time. 
Does that happen in any other conference in women's basketball? Uh, not, <laughs> not that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, and if it does, I know that they're in bigger conferences, so they charter two places. So it's a little yeah. bit, a little bit easier. Not, not a lot of any charter well, flights. It's like, yeah, I guess it's like too when you try to look at records and you try to look at where you stand. Sometimes like when you get to that nine game mark in the Sun Belt, sometimes you want the true picture of where you're really at because you haven't faced everybody. Yeah, and I, I really try to, to shift our focus um, to be a, to be about us. You know, like um, in just trying to get our kids to understand what are the things that we need to do um, to be able to win these games. And it's, it's a lot, like the last two games, it's just been a lot of like little mental breakdown. But as you know, like those little breakdowns add up oh, yeah. um, in February. And so I, I think for us, it's just continuing. I, I just keep telling them like every time we get on the court, like we got to continue to be better. And I think sometimes as coaches, we get so focused on, okay, we got to, prepare today to beat, you know, Georgia State, when realistically we got to prepare today to be better than we were yesterday and to continue to to keep playing our best brand of basketball. And so I, I really think our kids are dialed in and locked in. They understand that on any given night in the Sun Belt, anybody can win. Um, so I just think we got to continue to stay, stay positive um, throughout the stretch. And, like, you hit it on the head, like, a lot of our games are on the road. Um, so getting them to understand what's going to travel with us, our defense, our rebounding, you know, taking care of the basketball and just keeping them focused on, on these little little goals that we have throughout the game. If people were to tune in and, and watch you guys, just for people who don't know, uh, what, what would they see from you guys? They would see um, up-tempo basketball. We like to play um, up-tempo on the offensive side of the ball. Um, just in terms of getting out in transition. I think our league has done a really good job this year in scouting us and trying to take some of those opportunities away. Um, but we like to share the ball, um, play from the inside out. I have a paint point. You know, we preach paint points on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, more of a pack line um, team. We have the best rebounder um, in the Sun Belt in uh, Bailey Plummer. She has a, a very elite skill when it comes to rebounding. I think she's worth putting up, putting it on and, and seeing her. She's not only best in the Sun Belt, but she's one of the top in the country. Um, so defensively, she helps us just um, limit second-chance points because of her ability um, to guard. But I, I think you'll see a team that's got a lot of fight. I mean, talk about it's a few possessions at Coastal. We were down 17, and we were able to come back. Um, so I, I think you'll see a team that, can, can get punched and, and pop right back up, throw another punch, and team that's going to fight from start to finish. With uh, with the Sun Belt being the way it is, um, and if you guys can, like I mentioned, you guys are number six right now. If you can finish in that sixth spot or better, you get a day off uh, in the tournament. Um, is that something you guys have talked about with your team? Do you guys talk about those type of things? Or how do you guys, how do you approach you know, the big picture stuff with your players? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that because this was the first year. So right away in the summer when we came back, when I came back from my meeting, I showed our the bracket. I also had my schedule. So I said, this is why this is important. We finish in in Mobile, South Alabama. Like generally, can't can't even fly home after that because there's not a flight after the game. Mm. So then that means, 
um, on Sunday, you know, where we're trying to travel back if we end up having to play, you know, if you don't finish in that top six. So I kind of laid that out. Mm-hmm. And then before we opened up Sunbelt play, I had another conversation with them. So I wanted to know where they were at. And they talked a lot about um, finishing in the top, but then they also talked about, you know, winning in New Orleans. So I just kind of got into them a little bit about the chase of perfection and let's, let's, let's aim for the top of this thing. Like I was like, I've seen all the teams, um, we can do this. And so I kind of shifted their focus. And then this is the first year. So on our game goals, we have our game goals in the locker room, the standings get put up, you know, mm-hmm. we're constantly talking to them about it. And the other day at dinner, I was, I overheard them talking about it at dinner. And this is the first time I've ever, I've ever done it. And I'm kind of glad because it's like, you know, now with the resources these kids have, information's everywhere. It's not like I'm hiding anything. Right. But I, I think it's good for them to understand where we are. Uh, but then, then you know, you can always get caught in, caught up in, well, if this one wins and that one wins, <laughs> oh, so yeah. we just try to, you know, we just try to say, here's where we're at and we control our own destiny. So those discussions are being had with our team. For you, uh, and I'll, I'll get you out of here, uh, it is game day and I appreciate uh, the time you spent with me. For you though, as, uh, and just on a personal note, you know, I ask this to a lot of a lot of people and a lot of guests I have on, but what is it at the end of the day, whenever you're, whenever you're done w- with coaching and, you know, you might be at App State for 40 years, you know, but whatever, whenever it does end, what needs to happen uh, during your career as a head coach for you to be able to walk away and, and feel fully satisfied? I honestly think for me, there's been a lot of like satisfying moments already um, with the relationships of the players. Like this is a small thing, but like this year we had our alumni event and I, for the first time I had like three players that played for me at the event. And that's the first time. Hmm. And that was huge for me. And that seems like so insignificant, but it's like, I want it to mean something more to them. So they want to come back and they want to be around their team. We were talking today and it's funny because Maddie sort of ended up hitting like a, game-winning bucket at Georgia State a couple years ago, and we were at our game day practice, and I said something to her about it. No idea, doesn't remember it. But there was an interesting moment in the huddle um, in a game, and, and they remember it. And it really makes me realize that as a coach, sometimes when we're in season, we are so focused on, you know, they got to have this experience when a lot of the memories and a lot of the things they take aren't the game-winning shot. They're not the rebounds. They're not that. They're their moments with their team. They're their, those different moments that you can give them. So I think um, when it's all said and done, that's going to be the most satisfying. Watching some of these kids that I know that are on the roster that came to App to get a degree, watching them walk across the stage. Um, seeing, you know, Bailey Palmer graduate from, graduate early and enter in a grad for four years, like, those are the experience and the moments that I've been able to provide. And I think as long as I keep doing that, I'll be happy um, being a head coach and I'll be happy when it's time to walk away from it. Yeah. Well, it is uh, certainly uh, an understatement to say, um, I know the entire 
women's basketball community has pulled for you personally, but um, I'm happy to see you guys successful this year and look forward to watching you guys down the stretch. Again, you guys play tonight uh, on the road at Georgia State, uh, February 21st, as, as we're recording this. Coach, thank you for sharing your story and uh, thank you for your courage. I really do appreciate all of it. No, I, I enjoyed our time. I appreciate you um, just giving me a platform to tell the story. So thank you, and, and thanks for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing for women's basketball. Well, thanks again to Appalachian State Head Coach Angel Elderkin for joining me and sharing her story. Uh, a pretty heavy, emotional one, but one with a, a great ending, and so happy to see her and her team being successful. Again, they play tonight, February 21st, on the road at Georgia State. Thank you for listening. Whether it's your first time or you've listened to every episode, it's greatly appreciated. Whether it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. If you listen on iTunes and can leave a rating and a review, that is really appreciated. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at Blake Dudonis. And until next time, this is The Jump Round.